Welcome to the Boom Clap Podcast. Today we're going to talk about liberties in America and Canada and our unwillingness to stand, why that is, um, what standing actually is, um, doesn't mean necessarily going to rallies. So um, just throwing that out there because sometimes people think, you know, oh, well, it's it's this big, huge ordeal and really it's not. So we'll talk about that and um, just kind of why we expect things to be easy, why we can celebrate Memorial Day here in America and, you know, thank these people, but then just expect our own lives to be so easy and not have to lift a finger. So we're going to talk mm-hmm. about that and get into that at, in more detail. But first, Cecily had uh, mentioned a few things happening in Canada the other day to me, and I was like, you need to talk about that on the podcast. So can you just bring up a few of these uh, inconsistencies you're seeing? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of them going on right now. First of all, I'll mention one that we hadn't talked about. I don't know if I actually talked with you about this, but after the shooting in Texas, Justin Trudeau had announced that the sale of handguns was going to be illegal in Canada, um, which is really interesting because he says it's to try to make Canada safer. Meanwhile, he's walking around with five, six armed bodyguards wherever he goes. So that's just interesting. Um, that's one. And the Supreme court, you guys, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before. They're making some really interesting decisions first around allowing mass murderers to be released on parole after 25 years, rather than stacking the murder convictions for the people, the multiple people that they're killing. I found that really interesting because the shooting in Texas happened on Tuesday. And then that decision was made on Friday. So then meanwhile, we have Justin Trudeau and his government deciding to ban the sale of handguns. So it's just like whiplash responses in every direction. Not that the Supreme Court decision was a whiplash response, but it was a bad decision. And the timing was awful. Um, Another Supreme Court decision that was made recently that I definitely talked about on the podcast was... um, that you can become voluntarily intoxicated and use it as a defense if you commit some sort of offense, including sexual assault. So I think that's terrible. When you when you combine that ruling with the one about mass murderers, it's as if the government is trying actively to create more victims in our society, which is alarming to say the least. Yeah. Another thing going on in my province of British Columbia is that you are now allowed to carry two and a half grams of like illicit drugs, meth, cocaine, you name it. You can absolutely carry that. And that's not against the law anymore. And then you can go and commit some sort of assault or offense and, and use your decision to use those illicit drugs as a defense in court. So those are a few of the things. Another thing that I had mentioned to Rita was my sister actually went on a cruise recently to Alaska. So they left from Vancouver, cruised up to Alaska. And interestingly, actually, one of the person people that she met on the cruise listens to our podcast. So that was a a random find. And so so if you are, yeah, I know. So if you are that person, thanks for listening. (laughs) Um, And isn't my sister awesome? But uh, the other thing that my sister had mentioned is that she met someone else on the cruise. I believe they were from D.C., and so they they flew from D.C. or whatever state it was. I, I honestly can't remember, but for some reason, D.C. sounds right. They flew up from D.C. to Vancouver. And, of course, they get on the plane in D.C. 
no masks necessary. And apparently, once they hit Canadian airspace, so they're way up high in the air, as soon as they hit Canadian airspace, they were asked to put their masks on. So that's ludicrous. Yeah, and like no one knew boarded the plane in the middle of the airspace, right? No one like, knew boarded the plane. People have all been on the yeah. plane together the whole time. <laughs> like Ew, this stuff man. just does not, there's no way you can no. make this make sense. <laughs> you have to laugh, but then also feel deep, deep sorrow over the fact that, you know, there's this People lack so of common sense going on. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Um, and the other thing that I had brought up to you when I was telling you about that is that Ukrainians coming into Canada, they do not have to get vaccinated in order to come into Canada, which I don't care. I think that's great. I don't believe you should need a vaccine to come into Canada. But it's just interesting that me, as an unvaccinated person, I can't even get on a plane in my own country. So, you know, and... Anyway, so you can just see how that doesn't make much sense. There's not a lot of consistency going on at all. Yeah, exactly. And back to like the crime issues, the Mm -hmm. um, drug decisions, the um, Mm -hmm. lower sentencing for mass shooters and things Mm -hmm. like that, combined with Justin Trudeau's call to remove handguns and ban them. Mm -hmm. It's just almost as if they're promoting crime, like they're promoting the increase of crime while at the yeah. same time taking away the victim's ability to defend themselves. And yes. that just tells me that they're either completely ignorant, which I don't believe. I think they're mm-hmm. smart. And mm-hmm. I think that they are pushing for a perfect storm. That I, yeah, like that's kind of the thought that goes through my brain and it's a pessimistic thought, like admittedly, but mm-hmm. why else would you make these decisions that, I I honestly feel like no matter what side of the aisle you're on, when it comes to those Supreme Court decisions, as well as the drug possession decision, I feel like maybe the drug possession one people on different sides of the aisle would have different perspectives. But in general, a lot of those things, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you look at that and scratch your head and think, well, that doesn't seem right. Yeah. So why is the government making these decisions that, like I said, it's primed to create more victims? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I mean, there's only, I don't know, I, there's nothing I can say for why no. other than they're, they're doing things on purpose to yeah. destroy our independence. And yeah. Yeah. What's interesting about some of these things going on in Canada, especially around Supreme Court decisions and how it's going to have an effect on crime is that something we talked about in our last podcast episode and that Rita dug into deeper on Instagram was this idea of can we legislate morality and do we legislate morality? Um, So Rita, you should talk through a little bit about what you talked about. And then I'm going to talk about a poll that I did on Instagram after you kind of explain what some of your thoughts were there. Yeah. So basically I had asked people if, all of our law hinges on morality or if the government is basically supposed to be amoral. And it was a low participation rate in that poll, mm-hmm. um, much lower than usual. I would say about 10%. Normally there's a couple thousand people participate and there was about 250, I think at the end. And so that mm-hmm. told me either people um, weren't sure what I meant um, or didn't really understand the question or were maybe just uh 
unsure of how to answer, didn't hadn't really thought about it. So I was like, that's probably a good place to dig in, right? When people maybe are a bit unsure. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's hard to think through and talk about because a lot of the laws we see being passed and legislation we see coming forth seems amoral to us. It seems like it's not um, morally sound. And that's because we have people running the government, right? But our government in America, I will speak for, was Mm -hmm. built upon a foundation of moral principle. And so everything that comes forth has to be based out of morals, right? And then just thinking through how decisions are made. You Mm -hmm. know, if we talk about um, crime law, tax law, um, any law that comes forth, people are using a decision-making process based on what is right or wrong, just and fair or moral, right? And so regardless of whether we agree with the decisions that they're making and the laws coming forth, whoever is making those decisions is using whatever their moral compass tells them is right. And so it's just interesting to think through. And then taking that a step further, um, when we think about uh, the years of 2020 and 2021, and oh, I'm going to go back really quick. One reason this was brought up is there was a huge Instagram account that had basically um, when the when the uh, crime was committed in Texas, when that mass shooting happened, she had called for all of her followers to be calling their legislators and asking for um, stricter gun law. And then she had put up a question box asking her followers what they thought should be done. And somebody had mentioned that basically morals are lacking in America and we have moral decay, which I absolutely agree with. And she said, Mm -hmm. that's great. um, And we should work on those things in our homes, which I also agree with. Mm -hmm. But she said that public policy and um, what was the other word? Personal um, uh, is not personal action or private action. That was the that was a phrase she used. She said Mm -hmm. public policy and private action are two different things also true, and that the government cannot legislate on private action, which is true. They cannot make you have, um, they can't make you be a good person. They can't change your heart or Mm -hmm. any of those things. But we do legislate on morality. And our government officials often talk about personal um, convictions or um, like your private action when it's convenient. And so when we think about 2020 and 2021, just the easiest thing to point to is the vaccine mandates and the mask mandates and all of those things. Not actual law, but you had all of these legislators talking about love thy neighbor all of a sudden. All of these Mm -hmm. people that constantly tell you the Bible has no place in government and that they're not arbiters of moral truth and that they cannot talk about morality constantly you know, telling us this, all of a sudden trying to tug at your heartstrings and get you Mm -hmm. to take action by applying biblical principle. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. just taking that whole um, side, Rita, they try to tug at your heartstrings for totally anti-biblical principles and saying that that is moral. Yes. So it goes either way. Yes. And then it's just interesting to me how they'll apply something on you know, at one point when it's convenient to their agenda. And then on the other side, they will say, well, we can't do that because 
you know, separation of church and state, which that's a whole conversation for another day. We, I think we actually touched on that on last episode, but um, they'll, they'll misapply that as well. But anyway, my point is, you know, they're inconsistent and we are founded upon moral principle and morals are used to determine law. Totally. Yeah. And so I had asked the question on Instagram. I just put up a poll and I said, is morality relative like or subjective, you know, different for everyone or is it objective? And I was fully expecting that people would definitely have different thoughts about that. But I wasn't expecting it to be even as even as a split as it is. So majority of people did say that morality is objective but quite a few thought it was subjective. It was basically like 75, 25 at this point. Anyway, it's, it's not been a full 24 hours since I put that up. So it just, I think the fact that there was more people than I was expecting thinking it is subjective just points to the fact that this is an important conversation to have. And Rita, you had pointed out that it was a bit of a trick question. And yeah, I, I messaged you. I wouldn't vote in the poll. I was like, this is a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> You're so smart. Yeah. Um, it was, it was a trick question in a way. And so I would say the trick in it kind of is that morals and values, I think can be subjective, but morality itself mm-hmm. is objective. And I'm just going to see if I can talk through that a little bit. So if we say that morality, morality as a whole is relative or subjective, then how can we say that murder, rape, terrorism, things like that are bad, right? Because Mm -hmm. if someone thinks that those things are good, then the rest of us really can't say anything about the fact that those are bad because there's no actual truth to hang on to there if if morality is relative, subjective. So this is why I believe that moral relativism is a very dangerous spot to land. And I feel as time is going on, more and more people are landing in that camp. But the fact is that subjective morality gives you no basis for saying that something is actually right or actually wrong. So I feel like if um, you take a minute to think about that, you'll see that point. But then you have to ask yourself what true morality really is. And if it does exist, then where does it come from? You know, like as a whole, I know there's probably places in the Middle East or wherever where the Taliban is in control that maybe they don't believe that rape is wrong. But in general, most of people in the world believe that rape is wrong, that murder is wrong. Why is that? Like, what is the basis for that? You know, and so from a purely like Darwinian or evolutionary perspective, that doesn't make sense, right? Especially when we're saying, oh, morality is totally subjective. You do you, I'll do me. But at the same time, we're condemning these things that are so clearly wrong, right? And this is where, you know, Christians will say there's a moral law giver, and that is what makes morality objective. So we believe that there is an ultimate creator and an arbiter of truth. And when there is a creator of truth and morality, then there's an objective reason to give for the morals and values that you hold. So then when you say, no, murder is wrong, rape is wrong, terrorism is wrong, you have a leg to stand on because there's a place where it comes from. So I do agree that different cultures may value different things or they may even consider different things moral, or it might have a bit of a scale. 
But if it's all relative, then we shouldn't expect to hold people accountable for anything that we judge immoral. Does that make sense? Like, I believe that morals may vary. Where's my phone? Morals may vary person to person, but morality itself is objective. So the question is then whether or not people will choose to accept that as truth. Yeah, that's great, Cecily. And I think that, I just want to add in here, I think that these conversations are hard because there's, it's not, it's not just straightforward. And Mm -hmm. One thing I notice when I talk about things like this on my social media, people get quiet. Like mm-hmm. it's normally like rapid fire messaging, you know, on my stories and things, but people tend to get quiet when I talk through mm-hmm. stuff like this. And yeah. I think it's because it's challenging and we live in a world where it's like, you want to just be like, this is bad. This is good. Yes. Um, yeah. Rah, rah for this or no, no for that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really easy conversation because you just ultimately like, or uh, right away know like you're for this or against this, right. but this is just more of like a philosophical conversation and yeah. it requires deep thought and it's not straightforward. And you can find yourself like arguing with yourself in your head as you go through. Totally. And yeah. I love that. And that's yeah. what I hope people want here on this podcast because mm-hmm. we live in such a soundbite culture and that's yeah. destroying our brains. And yes, these conversations need to be had for people to understand the way our world works. Yeah. Uh, like as you were talking, I was actually thinking of the phrase more than a soundbite. And we actually have an episode about that too. It's titled more yeah. than a soundbite. Yep. Yeah. All right. I'm glad we got that hashed out here in the beginning. So are you ready (laughs) to jump into our main topic? Let's do it. All right. So uh, what brought this to the forefront of my mind the other day were um, Memorial Day. You know, we had Memorial Day this past Monday here in America where we um, honor the people who uh, gave their lives for our liberties. And I was driving by the church with the signs And you guys know, (laughs) it's been mentioned on the podcast many times, but they had one this week and it said, liberties are rarely, and I I might be getting it a little bit off, but basically this is the gist Mm -hmm. of it. Liberties are rarely cheap and never free. And basically Mm -hmm. they were saying, there's always a price to pay for liberty. Mm -hmm. And usually it's a big one. You know, usually it's not something small that we're going to have to pay to maintain our liberties. And so... I was just thinking as I was driving after that and I messaged Cecily and I was just like, why can we study history and why can we know that there's a price to be paid for liberty and just assume that our lives will be easy? Like, why is that in America and Canada, I would say is the same. Mm -hmm. Like we just assume that we're going to have these easy lives when we know there's a price to be paid for liberty. And then tagging onto that a little bit further, um, why are we complacent? Like what makes us able to just sit there complacent and not do anything when we see liberties being chipped away at? And so, I don't know, I have my list of reasons. I And this was something I really had to think about. It wasn't something that I just was like, oh, this is why. I sat there and I thought yeah. about it the rest of this week. Um, mm-hmm. But one thing that I thought of relating it to just my regular life is my kids do something wrong and they tell me they're sorry. I Mm -hmm. often say to them, you know, I appreciate you saying you're sorry, but I will know you're truly sorry when your behavior changes. 
And mm-hmm. so as I thought about Memorial Day and how many people like post on social media or put a flag out or, you know, tell a family of someone who was lost in military action and telling them thank you. I was thinking about like how we say thank you, but our truest form of thanks is in our actions and showing that we appreciate um, what was, you know, the price that they paid for our freedom. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of a, like a really poignant example of words are cheap and uh, your actions kind of prove it, right? It's your actions Mm -hmm. in this case prove that you value what they did. So very interesting thought. Yeah. So I guess kind of what I came up with as far as um, reasons. Okay. So the first thing that I thought of, I just started thinking about how teenagers are kind of in that stage where they feel immortal and don't feel like anything could happen to them. You know, they could drive a car fast and not wear their seatbelt and drinking and driving and all of those things and just feel like no one can or nothing can get them or take them down. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of felt like maybe, you know, when I'm thinking about Americans and how we have the ability to look at history, just like teenagers have the ability to, um, when we were in high school, this is just an example. When we were in high school before prom, they had this thing called Operation Prom. And the um, EMTs and firefighters would bring like a crash car out. And a couple of our real classmates would act out like a scene of a car accident and like they would have like fake blood on them and everything and it was emotional because it looked very real and it was just basically to help those people before prom like remember like this is this can really happen to you you can really get in a car accident like don't drink and drive and Mm. so i was thinking about that and just how you know, we have the ability as teens to see these things and still not be able to fully understand and comprehend that it could happen to us. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking about Americans and Canadians also, you know, how we can look at history and see what has happened in the past and still have this sense that that couldn't happen to us. Like we're okay. You know, we'll always be free. We'll always have our liberties. And Mm -hmm. it was interesting to me. And I was just kind of, that was the first thing I thought of is the first reason maybe that we're unwilling to stand. And so I found this article on psychology today because I was like, why are teenagers like that? And Mm -hmm. this psychology today article said, I blame the feelings of immortality of teenagers on the fact that their frontal lobes are not fully working. The reason frontal lobes are not fully engaged is because they have not yet completed the process of neuronal myelination. I think myelination is the insulation, or sorry, doesn't say I think. It says think of myelination as the insulation of the electrical wires inside your house. Without myelination of the brain, electrical signals from the neurons fail to reach their destination. And so they just mm-hmm. go on talking about this and how um, teenagers' brains just aren't fully developed yet. And when I was mm-hmm. thinking about that and the frontal lobe issue, it made me um, think about uh, frontal lobe function as linked with internet use and uh, internet addiction. And I would say that a lot of people, like the large, vast majority of people Mm -hmm. have a mild internet addiction problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, wouldn't you say, Cecily? Sometimes not even mild. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I would say like, you say internet addiction disorder, like you think of somebody diagnosed with a problem, but I think most people are walking around addicted to their phones. And it's normal. Like it's just Mm -hmm. something that's accepted. Like we're all tied to our phones and expected to be in a way too. Yeah. So I was thinking about this and I don't know. I just think this is really important because a lot of us sit there and say people are complacent in America, but then we don't talk about why ever. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I think this is important to think through. So stick with me, even if this sounds boring, but I think that not only are we um, looking at media all the time, I think it is changing our brain and how we, um, and we know this, like, obviously it's changing our brain, but I think it's changing like our willingness to stand up, not, not because um, maybe we're preoccupied and entertained so much. I think that that's often what we think of is like the media is changing our brain to the point of where we're preoccupied, entertained, and we don't care to go stand up for things or um, Mm -hmm. speak out about things because we have this preoccupation. But I think it's more so that it's changing our brain to where we're unable. Mm. I don't know. I I don't know. I found an article also that was talking about decreased frontal lobe function in people with internet addiction disorder, like an actual research article. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's something to this. I think there is too. I mean, I can even speak for myself on days or weeks where I spend more time on my phone or computer. I absolutely have more trouble focusing. Mm -hmm. I have a lot more trouble thinking deeply. And the times where I spend a lot less time on it, I read more. I think deeply about things. I'm happier in general. Like I feel like there are research studies on on this that point to all of this being true, but there's also just the lived experience of people, right. everyone around us, ourselves, that just points to this so obviously being true. Like, it's so much harder for us to process information now. And partly, I think it's just there's so much information to be had. We consume information all day long. It kind of dulls the brain's ability to sift through any of it at a deeper level because there's just so much Right. And taking that a step further, it could be also slightly or even largely by design, like make people feel like they're doing something by being tied to the internet, speaking out on the internet, but not actually doing anything in their own lives. It's a false productivity. Yeah. And it kind of gives you the good feeling, but it's, it's not the actual same thing as productivity. Yeah. Okay. So the second reason that I came up with is the bystander effect or bystander Mm -hmm. apathy, which I'm reading Mm -hmm. from Wikipedia right now. It's a social psychological theory that states individuals are less likely to offer help to a victim when there are other people present. First proposed in 1964, much research, mostly in the lab, has focused on increasing varied factors such as the number of bystanders, ambiguity, group cohesiveness, and diffusion of responsibility that reinforces mutual denial. If a single Mm -hmm. individual is asked to complete the task alone, the sense of responsibility will be strong and there will be a positive response. However, if a group is required to complete the task together, each individual in the group will have a weak sense of responsibility and will often shrink back in the face of difficulties or responsibilities. So I think that this is probably true as a reason Mm -hmm. that maybe we don't see um, 
need to stand up because we think there's a lot of people and why me, you know, I'm busy. I'm busy. Yeah, oh, yeah. um, somebody had messaged me when I said, uh, I had done a post about we are the solution, you know, like we mm-hmm. need to stand up in our own lives. And somebody had messaged me and said, well, a lot of us are busy just trying to survive. And so mm-hmm. that's a whole nother can of worms, but on the survival subject and the redefining of that word and what is mm-hmm. actually surviving. Um, like today it's surviving, getting your projects done at home and going to baseball practice and, you know, getting all the busy tasks completed in the day, like that's surviving, you know, yeah. hundreds of years ago, surviving was actually foraging for food. Um, so yeah, yeah, uh, that's, that's one thing, but, um, I do think that a lot of people just think, well, I'm busy. I have little kids. My life is, um, my life is chaotic. Somebody else should be doing this, you know? And so we see a lot of people in a big world and we think that we're exempt. Yeah. So one of the things they had said in that thing that you had read was that if they're in a group, they have a weak sense of responsibility. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. But then I think there's also that um, peer pressure in a sense. You know, we had done that one episode where we talked through some experiments, like the Milgram experiment and stuff. Mm-hmm. if a couple dominant members in a group decide like, oh, no action is better or, you know, vice versa, whatever the dominant couple of people decide, uh, there's a big, big, big chance that most of the group will follow along with that response. So there's yeah. weak sense of responsibility, but then there's also following the crowd. Yeah. Or if the dominant people decide to stand they mm-hmm. might, the others might sit back just because they think, oh, they're taking care of it. Yes. And I mean, we've certainly seen that happen over the yes. past couple of years. I felt that situation personally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The For third sure. thing I came up with was learned helplessness. Mm. So let's read about that just a little oh, bit. Man. Learned helplessness occurs. This is also from psychology today, by the way. Learned helplessness mm-hmm. occurs when an individual continuously faces a negative, uncontrollable situation and stops trying to change your circumstances, even when they have the ability to do so. Mm-hmm. For example, a smoker may repeatedly try to quit and fail. He may grow frustrated and come to believe that nothing he does will help, and therefore he mm-hmm. stops trying to quit altogether. The perception that one cannot control the situation essentially essentially elicits a passive response to the harm that is occurring. Yeah. And I think it can also be true. Like this is kind of talking about, you know, the same scenario, believing we can't change the same scenario, but I believe it's true in a lot of scenarios, people will have this, this learned helplessness, like, well, I couldn't accomplish that. So I can't accomplish this either. Mm -hmm. And something I say to my kids a lot is actually, I I used to have a teacher that used to say this a lot. He was a basketball coach. He would say, be a problem solver. (laughs) And when I was younger, it made me so mad because I felt like I had tried everything or was like, I was tapped out. So it would make me so mad when he would say, be a problem solver. But I mean, now I say the same thing to my kids all the time. I'm really curious if it makes them upset. They haven't displayed that, but it could, it might make them upset. But I say to them all the time, be a problem solver because otherwise you do adopt this learned helplessness. You either become a problem solver or you become a a helpless person. And it's actually funny. My kids have collected a whole bunch of snails um, and they are just, I don't know what they're doing with them, but they've collected a whole bunch of snails. And they're taking care of them. And 
today my daughter was trying to help a couple snails that looked like they were in like a sticky situation. Pardon the pun because snails are sticky. Yeah, I was but anyway, say. <laughs> they, they were in some sort of sticky situation. I'm not even sure what it was. I was weeding the garden. I was just listening to their conversation happening in the background. And my son says to my daughter, Emmy, they need to learn to solve their own problems, <laughs> which is <thought> was so <laughs> funny. <laughs> but it's funny. true. And I'd rather have him recognizing that and telling his sister the same message at this point, because I want them to be strong. I want them to be the kinds of people that are looking for a solution to their problems rather than standing by with this learned helplessness. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I came up with for the reasons why I could think of. And if y'all come up with something different, you can message Mm -hmm. me and tell me, but I think that it gives us something to um, go to and point to and maybe help ourselves from becoming those complacent people, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, if we can remember, you know, like not to be like the teenager that thinks nothing will happen to them and not to, you know, participate in the bystander effect and not to have this learned helplessness. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's talk really quickly about what standing looks like also, because like I said, you know, that message about, you know, we're just trying to survive out here and we don't have time always to, you know, be constantly speaking out or going to rallies. You know, these are things that I talk about on my social media is, you know, standing up. And I feel like people who've been with me for a long time should get it by now what I mean. But the message always gets muddled somehow. And Mm -hmm. I always get messages from people saying, you know, well, I can't, I can't participate in rallies all the time. Guys, I don't go to rallies. I haven't been to one rally and maybe you're going to slap me on the wrist for that, but that's not how I stand. My standing is just in my living every day. Like Mm -hmm. each one of us is living every day and we're making choices every day. And so Mm -hmm. I make choices based on my values and my values um, help me sustain that life of liberty that I love, you know? And so every day your standing doesn't have to be some grandiose action, right? It can just be literally living your life and living your life within your values to maintain those liberties and not participating in the lie. We talk about that all the time. The live not by lies episode, not participating in the lies. Yeah. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, go back and listen to it because it's just so key. It is so key and so foundational. Just don't live by lies. It sounds so simple. It can be harder to walk out, but we need to work at just making it more simple. Yes. Okay. So now maybe we should talk about a little bit. Why do we think life should be so easy? Mm -hmm. Why do we just assume that we're going to have this easy time? Everybody fought for freedom before us and fought for our liberties before us, just so we can have this easy peasy life. Mm -hmm. It seems to be a very common mindset, especially I think in our countries or Western, Western countries in general, where thankfully things have been very easy, but there's a reason that things have been easy. And we sometimes will remember that once or twice a year on these special days. Right. But for a lot of the time after that, it's just put, on pause and we kind of go on autopilot and we just expect our life to be good, to be happy, to be easy. And I just think that it's, it's a heart problem essentially to think that we are entitled 
to an easy life. And I'm not even just talking about freedoms. I'm talking mm-hmm. more just from <clears throat> any perspective, like crappy things happen in life. You know, cancer yeah. exists. Um, car accidents happen. Horrible things happen. And we can think so often, like, why me? Like, why do I deserve this? Or why that person? They're so nice. You know, like, why them? And I think that, like, at that point when we're asking those questions, we need to remember that at the very center of reality is the one who suffered. And that's Jesus, right? Like, he suffered. He is God. And he came to earth and he suffered. Like Isaiah 53, 3 tells us he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So if Jesus experienced suffering, why should we be any different? And then, I mean, we can think of so many examples, Job, Joseph, Daniel, David, Jesus. I was telling you, Rita, about something that I had heard. I don't know if it was in a sermon or a podcast or someone was just talking to me. I literally can't remember, but he was talking about King David and how he was like this chosen one, right? Like anointed. Um, But he had struggles in his life. Like, yeah, he was wealthy and he was rich and he was a king, but not everything was easy, you know? Like, so I just think of all these examples through the Bible, Jesus being the pinnacle example of the fact that, you know, we're on earth, it is fallen, we should not be expecting that things will be easy. If it wasn't for Jesus, why would it be for us? Yeah. I don't know. It. You said not just liberties and freedom. And I'm really glad you brought that up because mm-hmm. I was thinking before that, I was like, things just happen in life, you know, yeah. and, and life isn't easy. And honestly, like I have those thoughts. It's easy to say, you know, I, I feel like we hear that all the time, what you said, you know, well, Jesus suffered. Mm-hmm. So why can we expect to have these easy lives, you know, and mm-hmm. it's easy to say that, but living it out and actually um, understanding that is, yeah. is a little bit different. Yeah. I feel like there's a really, a good example in the Bible of, you know, f- feeling pain. And this is more just, this is a physical pain, but it's an example of a woman having a baby. So in John 16, starting at verse 21, Jesus is saying, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. This is shortly before he was crucified. And no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. So, you know, like there's sometimes things that we go through. And I know, like, again, this is easy to say. There's things that we go through that seem terrible, but there's something better on the other side. And so this passage is pointing to the fact that, you know, the disciples were sad. They were having sorrow because Jesus was going to leave the earth. But he's saying to them, like, take heart because I'm, you'll see me again, you know? And so I think that's something that can be hard to remember in the moment, but the, just the fact that there's, there's good coming. So then verse 32 to 33 of the same chapter says, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So again, he's talking to the disciples here. 
and he's telling them that they will have tribulation. But the same is true for, for all of us. Again, those are Jesus's chosen 12, right? And they will have trouble. So, so will we. But there's that promise that Jesus has overcome the world. Yeah, um, I just was thinking too, back to people's unwillingness to stand. This just pop in my head, but it's obvious. Like mm -hmm. people are unwilling because of the suffering that they will potentially have to endure. And most people are living just for this life. You know, yeah. even Christians lose that mm -hmm. eternal perspective and lose the remembrance of what Jesus actually did for us and what that means, the gravity yeah. of that and what we actually are living for is eternity. Right. And so yeah. I think that as you talk about suffering and, you know, biblical suffering, you know, and mm -hmm. what we see in the Bible as an example for us today and what we can expect for our lives, we have to remember, you know, that we're not living just for this life only. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think a book of the Bible that reminds us of that constantly, if we read through it, is Revelation. And mm -hmm. a word that's like used a lot throughout the book of Re Revelation is behold. And when I think of that word, I kind of, so John will say behold. And to me, it's like, he's saying, wake up, like realize what's going on around you. You know, like the mm -hmm. life that we're living here, that's not all. Like there's so much more going on. Like we are not just living on earth, living our lives, doing our thing. Like we are actually engaged in this cosmic battle that has been going on since Genesis 3, you know. Um, so I'm going to read a passage that might seem a little bit obscure <laughs> and people will be like, well, why is she reading this? But it's from Revelation 12, 7 to... 17. It says, now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down that ancient serpent who serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was giving, given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So, I mean, if, if you haven't read Revelation in a while, like just that little passage is going to remind you like, wow, Revelation is pretty wild. But when you get past that, um, we get this picture of why things on earth 
are so rough and why we cannot expect that things will be smooth. The reason is because the devil knows the Bible better than us, right? And he knows that he has lost and it just enrages him. He knows that he can't defeat Jesus. So he goes after what's nearest and dearest to Jesus and that's his people, right? So like I said, this is not just life and we're not just doing our thing. We are part of that epic cosmic battle that was just described in that passage that has been going on since the fall, essentially. And to expect easy perfection in our lives is completely irrational in light of that reality. So I think we just need to remember, like, as it says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's absolutely not. It's against the principalities and powers of the air. So there's many ways or three main ways that Jesus, uh, not Jesus, that Satan tries to defeat us. And guys, I got these out of the book, Discipleship on the Edge. It's an expository um it's an expository book on Revelation. I highly recommend it. So the first way that he tries to defeat us, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this, is that he accuses, slanders, and causes us to live in guilt, right? We think, oh, we're a terrible person because we did this or that, or I'm not good enough because of this or that. And if we just live in that, it's almost like that learned helplessness that Rita was talking about, right? If we sit there and live in that, we're participating in the devil's evil game. The second way that he tries to defeat us is that he deceives the whole world. And that's why he is called the deceiver, right? And if we're paying attention at all, like, you know, that word that's used revelation a lot, behold, like if we have our eyes open and we're looking around, it's so obvious that there's such massive deceit going on in the world. You know, the devil plays games with the truth. And when we get caught up in that and participate in deception, then we are playing his evil game. And the third way that he tries to defeat us is with the threat of death. And I mean, in my lifetime, this has never been more clear than in the past couple of years. He truly attempts to enslave us with a fear of death, right? And we're called to be free, but he tries to enslave us with a fear of death. And that fear can just tempt us to back off and to compromise and try to preserve the life and the comforts we have. But again, when we do that, we're playing his evil game. So the key part of that passage is where it says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of his testimony. So by the blood of the lamb, our sin is covered and it makes it so that we can be brought near to the Lord and we counter deceit and death with truth and life. So we have to speak truth. We have to live truth. Like we talked about live not by lies. And then we overcome as well by declaring the truth of the gospel, the word of the testimony. We declare it to the devil, we declare it to ourselves, and we declare it to the world. So those are some of the things that I just wanted to bring up about, you know, like we can't expect it to be easy because that was never, that's just not something that's ever happened in the history of the world. So anyway, there's just a reason that things are bad and that passage just speaks to why so clearly. Yeah, absolutely. I just hope that this really helps everyone listening hone in on their own lives. Like, you know, we don't say all these things just to fix everyone else. This is Mm -hmm. often for our own benefit and ourselves, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's just interesting. Like, I feel like 
there's a trend to see problems and point to the problem all the time, but then yes. we don't talk about the why behind it. And so yeah. when we see complacency and we see people, you know, wanting to just live life of ease when it mm-hmm. comes to either, you know, liberties and freedoms or just expecting no hardship in your life, you know, broadly, um, mm-hmm if we can talk about the why and understand the why and then change our expectations based on what we know biblically, that will change how we live. Oh, absolutely. At least it should, right? Like it should, Um, which is why it's so important to be in the word. Yes. In the word. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up this episode? No, I think that's good. All right. Well, you guys, as always, thank you for listening. This podcast has been such a huge blessing to us, and we really hope and pray that it has been for you as well. If you're getting something out of it, we would love it if you would leave us a review if you haven't done yet, done so yet. Um, And if you have already, we would love it if you would just share with a friend, with a coworker, with a family member. Um, That would mean a lot to us. It shows that you value what we're doing here. And if you want to connect with us on another level, we do have the Boom Clap community, which you can find at theboomclapcommunity.com. So you can check that out to figure out what that's all about. Um, But yeah, if you want to find us outside the podcast, you can find me, Cecily, on Instagram at cecily.dicky or on my website, thegracetogrow.com. And you can find me, Rita, at readerrogerskill on Instagram or readerrogerskill.com. Thanks for listening.